welcome to the Soul Deep podcast, where we dive deep into the edges of life where the body meets the soul. Sharing personal stories of struggle and breakthrough, the guests on this show let us know what is up when it comes to healing, happiness, and new heights of pleasure. Hello, hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited that you decided to hit play today. This episode is definitely one to get out the notepad and pen for some juicy notes on what it means to be in a conscious relationship, how to maintain a healthy relationship, what your relationship attachment style is, and how to manifest your ideal partner if you haven't already. So in this episode, I speak with the beautiful Taryn Newton-Gill. She is a love coach who works mostly with women and the founder of Truer Love. I would also highly recommend heading on over to truerlove.com where you can do a quiz to find out your relationship attachment style. So for me, I am anxious attached and my partner is avoidant attached. And these two things are really interesting. And I guess in the immature or unconscious sense, that would be a recipe for disaster. But being in a conscious relationship that values interpersonal development and within a couple that really brings effective communication and love and truth to the table, I can honestly say that we thrive. And I mean absolutely thrive. So if you take anything away from this episode, let it be that your attachment style does not define you. And if anything, it gives you a greater access to who you are and what your needs are in a relationship. So before we head on into this episode, I also want to just say that we finally got the podcast on iTunes. It's been a hot minute. It's been a very hot minute, but we finally got there and it would genuinely mean the world to me if you could head on over to iTunes and leave a review on the store. This really helps the podcast grow, reach more people and like-minded souls. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. And without further ado, please welcome Taryn to the Soul Deep podcast. Hi, Taryn, and welcome to the Soul Deep podcast. Hi, Sarah Jane. Thank you for having me. The first question I would love to ask you is what brings your soul to life? Ah, you know, I was thinking about this question because I listened to your last podcast and I wondered if you were going to ask me that. So I've been reflecting on it. Um, And the main thing I kept coming up with is um, my relationships, I think, really light me up, you know. Um, I mean, I love nature, too. I love going to the ocean. That definitely lights me up. But I think connecting with people on a soul level is really uh, where my happy place is, I think. Mm, You're the first person to say something like that. And Mm -hmm. I feel exactly the same. Like in those deep, even in those moments of just like connection, like cuddling Mm -hmm. or 
I don't know, last night, uh, my partner and I ate dinner outside in the garden and everything was just so full of life. And I felt that soul connection. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I definitely agree with you, like the container of relationships. And it rings so true for the kind of work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. It makes sense why I am where I am right now in life and career. Mm, totally. I'd love to kind of begin the podcast with um, a little bit of a dive into your journey and how you kind of got into this work. Definitely. Um, so I am in my mid thirties and I was single basically till after, since after college, mm-hmm. uh, I had had a long-term relationship with a boyfriend and moved in with him and felt really, really lost. And that was really big for me because I had was on the top of my game in college. I was like directing shows and just like lived in a home with people I loved. And it was a great experience for me. Um, And then I met him towards the end of college and kind of just was like, well, I don't know what I want to do with myself. So I'll just follow him to where he's from in Northern California. And doing that, like looking back, I immediately stepped out of college feeling, I think, not sure of myself and what I wanted. So I just attached to a man, you know, and and then I really lost myself in those next couple of years, kind of questioning everything about myself, you know, Um, because I put what he thought of me before, but I put what I thought of myself, you know, and I had to really like fight my way out of that hole to break up and move on from that, you know? And, and then when I came home to Los Angeles and started dating people, um, I found myself repeating that pattern a lot, no matter how much I became aware of it. I didn't know why I kept meeting people who didn't treat me well. And, you know, my parents have been married for 43 years. My dad is one of the kindest men in the world. And yet what is happening that I can't seem to do this Um, And then I became really resentful of just the institution of marriage because all my friends and family, my younger sister got married before me. And it was such an like, never pressure. My parents are not the type to pressure me, but everyone was always wondering like, do I want to be set up? Why are you single? And that just, I ended up writing a PSA after a breakup with someone. I put it on Facebook to my whole family. Like I'm single and I'm happy, leave me alone. You know, like, I don't need you guys to tell me like, everyone's lives look different. Happiness might look different for me than for you, you know? But the truth is there is a part of me that wanted a partner, but I resented the fact that it was such a focus for everybody, you know? Like it was, I was in this very in-between space. So anyway, skip ahead and I'm dating random people. um, And I was feeling very triggered by one person I was dating and my um, therapist brought up the concept of attachment theory. And I had heard that on some podcasts, not really understanding what it was, but she brought up my attachment style and said, like, I was basically in an avoidant anxious loop with someone, which I can explain later. But for people who are familiar, I was stuck in someone not giving me what I needed. But at the same time, I was dating multiple people um, after reading this dating book, The Four Man Plan, and I stumbled upon my now husband. And only through the process of understanding attachment did I start to understand like why he was so great, you know, but when I first met him, we were together a month and I broke up with him after a month. 
Um, and then spent seven months thinking about him, but like being afraid to reach out again because I didn't know if I'd break up with him again. Lo, like, lo and behold, it turns out that people with anxious attachment styles get really, feel really like bored or think someone's too nice when they're secure at first because they're used to the anxiety. And that's what had happened with me. And I didn't realize it because we would go to movies and laugh at all the same parts. And like, I loved his home and I like, and his warmth kind of stuck with me for those seven months when we didn't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And finally, I was just like, I, I think of intuition as like a nagging voice. And like this voice was nagging at me all the time. Like you like something like, it was like whispering, like he would be good for you. He would be good for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was trying so hard to ignore it because I was hung up on this other person who wasn't good for me, you know? Um, and finally one day, like I was supposed to go to Europe in like a week, but I like felt like I needed to see him. And so I just said like, I know you might not want to see me and I don't know if you're seeing anyone else, but would you want to have dinner at my house? Because the last time we had seen each other, he had made dinner for me at his house. So, and as the wonderful man he is, he wrote back and said, um, I'm surprised, but pleasantly surprised, you know? And he (laughs) gave me the one more chance. And I always think had I never trusted my intuition and just sent that text anyway, my life would be so different right now, you know? Um, and so I was just honest with myself that something about him felt good. And just, we just like, after that, we've been attached to the hip and now we are married and it's awesome actually. (laughs) So that, that process though, and realizing how, like, it was such a painful thing for me to get where I am. Mm -hmm. And I see so many people stuck in the same cycles as me. And so learning about attachment is really what like inspired it all at first, because I realized like relationships don't have to be as hard as we think they are sometimes, you know? Um, And while we're all unique beings, we're all still human. And so we process things very similarly and have similar triggers, you know? And we can relate on that level and we can learn from each other on that level. And so I just really wanna help. I specifically work with women, but there are definitely men with anxious attachment styles too. And, but I work with women to like kind of accept themselves. Cause when you look at attachment, it's really all about self-acceptance and understanding and compassion and being honest about what you really need, looking at your shadows and being able to say like, actually, I need reassurance right now that you still want to be around, which is so hard to say when you're dating someone, especially when it's new, you know, it's like, but vulnerability is the absolute key, I think, to like all the magic and connection and relationships. Mm -hmm. And, but it's really the hero's journey of jumping off and being like, okay, I'm going to go there with you. You know, like that's such a big leap internally I think a lot of the time especially if you have a style like that's an insecure style of attachment um so anyway that's my long version of my story and how I'm doing this work this is so fascinating and so interesting I love like hearing people's stories because it Mm -hmm. kind of really solidifies you know that passion and that drive and that understanding and like most people who teach a certain thing you you learn it the hard way right and mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it and um, yeah I think like one thing you know you're talking about that nagging intuition and something that I've experienced in my whole kind of love life love journey is the nagging intuition of hey this guy's not good for you mm-hmm. you know and I find that so interesting and you know that beautiful 2020 hindsight you look back you can see 
I yeah my intuition was bugging me for a hot minute on that guy or that one totally it's like you look back and realize I actually knew this about him the whole time but I wasn't listening to myself you know and but then in the moment we question ourselves so much you know we get in that logical anxious spiral in our head and that's why meditation and and spiritual practices anything that grounds you each day because you know, but it takes believing I actually have a wisdom underneath me, you know, you have, and I think to me, that's the self-worth part is truly believing. I mean, the mantra that I love that I actually have tattooed on me. And I say to myself every morning is Om Namah Shivaya, which in Sanskrit means, you know, I trust the divinity of the universe, or I trust the divinity. To me, it means I honor the divinity that resides within me. Um, which I believe resides in all things, you know, but I'm honoring it in myself and remembering that the divinity that is in the world also exists within me. And I'm going to choose to trust that. And some days I don't, (laughs) but I have it tattooed on me to just bring it me back to it. You know, Um, are you a human? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I mean, like there are many days I forget about it. Um, but you know, I think we all have it and, and we just, it's a matter of learning what that voice is and, yeah. and, and distinguishing it, which I know you talked about with Casey too last week on your podcast, yeah. <laughs> um, which was such a great discussion. Um, yeah, so it's just always trying to get back to that every day, I think. Oh, so, so beautifully put. I, I definitely wanna dive into attachment styles. I think that, you know, when you get into this like arena of dating or, conscious dating if you're someone who's into the personal development work mm-hmm. we a lot of the time like and it's just social social uh, conditioning we think attachment is just one thing it's being attached to someone and you very rarely hear of a different attachment styles or you know how attachment behaviors can show up within a relationship so mm-hmm. I'd love to know more about what are the different attachment styles Yes. So the way I like to break it down is starting with explaining what secure is and then kind of you understand the insecure styles based on the model of being secure. And this all started with John. I honestly don't know if I pronounce his name correctly because I've heard someone else pronounce it differently the other day, but I say Bowlby, B-O-W-L-B-Y. It might be Bowlby, but John Bowlby, he was the father basically of attachment science. He studied the way that um, people bond specifically in parent-child relationships and um, understood basically we all have hormones in our body that he calls our attachment system. So oxytocin is the main hormone in that. There are other components too like vasopressin, but what happens is, you know, humans are actually his theory was that humans have evolved to bond mm-hmm. um, that back in the day people who were had attachment systems and were close had a better chance of surviving than people who were not attached to other people because you had another person who was as equally invested in your survival as yourself so it really is a biological mechanism within us um, that dictates how we feel a lot when we're bonding with people um, because it's a survival mechanism. It's it's why we still exist, probably part of it, you know. Um, and so they did a test. He ended up having um, uh, an assistant, Mary Ainsworth, who they did this really famous test called the strange situation test, where they put a toddler in a room 
and they had the parent was there at first with the toddler maybe you know one to three years old and they had a researcher there and there were toys in the room and then the parent would leave for about three minutes I believe mm-hmm. and then they'd come back and then they'd study the child's reaction based on when the parent left and when they came back and they noticed that there were basically three major distinct ways that the child would respond and so the secure child who you know who parent was usually warm and open and loving, that child would probably cry a little because you're by two, by two usually people have their attachment system in place and their style has started to form. And so that child might cry because their attachment figure left, which is totally normal and natural. And then that, that um, parent would come back after the three minutes and the child would um, be happy and forgiving and just happy to see. So we consider that a secure attachment style because secure people tend to feel their feelings, um, but then also move on more quickly. They're mm-hmm. able to forgive others more quickly. They give people the benefit of the doubt a little more because they trust that when they're upset um, or triggered, that person's gonna be there for them. So they, there's a safety there. Wow. And that's the secure meaning, you know, when you're securely attached. So they have a secure attachment to people. It's healthy. Um, and I, I actually want to say that it's not unhealthy to have an insecure style, but that is kind of like the ideal that we would all feel safe being vulnerable and trust that the person will be there. But obviously we all have different upbringings and, you know, even from people who have parents who are happily married, you know, have this kind of picturesque in like, not picturesque, but on paper, you would think they'd be totally secure, right? Mm-hmm even people who are good people might have an insecure attachment and then that affects their children. You know, it's nothing intentional necessarily. And so it's not necessarily unhealthy, but it is understanding like, you know, a a more productive way of interacting in relationships to kind of get the responses you want from people Mm. and to have a healthier connection, right? Mm. So that's the secure style. And then For anxious children, what would happen is they would be left in the room, they would start crying, but then when the parent comes back, they're mad at them or they're still crying. They're not as easily forgiving because that that parent leaving for some reason caused more anxiety in them than the secure person. And that's generally because um, anxious attachment forms usually from when a child has one secure caregiver and then one insecure caregiver or meaning one caregiver who's generally very emotionally available and one who's inconsistently available. Mm. So that could even just be if you have a parent who doesn't necessarily acknowledge something in you all the time or they get moody, you know, maybe they have a little mental illness or something and then so they're not always present and then it can form this anxiety because the child is wondering when that parent is going to withdraw. And, and like when they'll be vulnerable, but the parent won't be able to make them feel safe. And so it creates an anxiety. So then they're always waiting for that parent to not be available. And so they are like basically used to the avoidant side of the parent. And so avoidant is the other attachment style, which is the, basically the opposite of anxious. So anxious people start looking for validation in other people because they're always like trying to please to keep them present and not leaving. Whereas avoidant people, didn't have maybe a secure parent or, or like they either had maybe abuse, neglect, single parents who weren't always present. 
things like that so that they actually don't feel safe feeling their emotions and expressing them because they don't think someone's going to be there. So they learn to self-soothe and to calm themselves. And that's why they value their independence and they process internally more with themselves. Mm. Whereas anxious people, like I have an anxious attachment style. That's what was going on in all those relationships. And I was dating avoidant people, which is a very common dynamic. And so we need that reassurance from another person. We've, we've been like socialized or, you know, brought up to look for reassurance from another person because of that inconsistent caregiver in childhood. Mm. And so anxious and avoidant people actually soothe in opposite ways. So an anxious person looks to another person for reassurance to calm their, to calm them and avoidant people go away to calm themselves. And so when they're in a relationship together, what was happening to me all that time is that the avoidant person, they also, they use kind of what are called deactivating strategies to get further away. Whereas anxious people use activating strategies to try and get closer. And so basically the, what that looks like in the avoidant person is they might get really critical when they start getting close to you. They might start being mean to you because they're trying to kind of subconsciously push you away and feel like they it's because they're overwhelmed with the amount of emotion and what they really need is space to go process by themselves but what happens is the anxious person who needs who when they're uncomfortable need the other person for reassurance they try going after the avoidant person to get reassurance when they're backing away because that's what's triggering them when the avoidant person backs away the anxious person gets triggered that's the very thing that their parent used to do, right? So they're mm. triggered that you're you're rejecting me or leaving. So then their activating strategy is to pursue the avoidant person to get that reassurance, but the avoidant person is trying to get away to process yeah. by themselves. And so it creates this really dark, horrible loop sometimes yeah. because both are super triggered. And that's what ends up sometimes in ghosting or, I mean, other people ghost too for different reasons, but that is a big factor yeah. um, of why a lot of people ghost. And, um, or why, you know, it just, the, and the anxious person is left feeling like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, I don't even know, like what, you know, it's anyway, it's really intense and it's very biologically rooted. And I think it's something that everyone should be aware about, you know, cause it affects us daily. Definitely. You know, uh, one thing that, um, that I get quite a lot, uh, whenever someone is kind of diving deep into a topic is I get a lot of visuals and I get feelings. This is like a part of the way I process information. And the main thing I got whenever you were speaking about these two very different attachment styles is like mm -hmm. the avoidant is the island and the anxious is the, the water, the waves. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, if you, you know, if you recognize yourself as being an avoidant attachment style, it's, you need to go to your island and be completely isolated and alone. And then if you're the opposite, if you're the anxious, you're, you're riding the waves. You're literally, and you want mm -hmm. to crash upon the island, but the island just wants to be left alone. Oh, I love that so much. It really, yeah. it really helps me digest information. My brain is like a cinema, honestly. I think it's why I'm a poet. Um, yeah, you're but, visual. <laughs> um. I, I have a theory, but I, I could be completely wrong. Um, it's, I guess it's partially through, uh, true for me in my past. Um, you know, when, I guess it's like shadow work. So when you say your um, anxious attachment style and you find yourself in a loop with uh, avoidant partners, 
is it because that avoidant partner is claiming something within themselves that you kind of don't feel so secure within so I guess another way of putting it is I know that so I'm also anxious um anxious attachment and I've constantly kind of found myself in a similar loop um in years ago with partners who are like hyper independent and very detached and I know it's because I sought that out because I did not have that within myself and something about their energy pulled me in because I was like wow like I want to get me some of this, you know, and it's just like a bit of a recipe for disaster, I guess, if two people aren't obviously conscious enough to have those conversations. Yes. And that is absolutely the, the key to everything I will say is, and you said it so beautifully, is having the consciousness to have those conversations. Um, I actually have a mini course on that very thing, conscious communication mini course, mm-hmm. um, because I, it really is everything in a relationship. Um, I say that, but there's other factors, but it does really help shape the relationship, how you communicate. Um, but to your point about the, um, kind of the shadow of that and seeing the other person's qualities that you kind of wanted, I, as an anxious person, totally relate to that. Um, and I feel like I would sometimes date people who would say, we're like the same person. And I'd be like, no. Basically, I think sometimes, well, that's a whole other route, but what I'm, I'm trying to get the, the visual I was hanging on to, um, which is that I recently learned that basically when that parent is pulling away from us, they're being avoidant is what's happening, right? They're withdrawing for some reason. And in that, basically, I think it creates a shadow because in that moment when you feel like you need someone and they want to avoid you, I feel like there's a certain level of shame that like, I need this from you, but you don't need this from me. Mm. You know, like I need the acknowledgement, but you're not. And so to me, that creates that shadow a little of like, I wish I were more independent. What's wrong with me that I need to like have this outside validation or that like, I'm not okay just being by myself, you know, especially, and I talk about this a lot, our world is very masculine in the sense that we value independence and strength and doing things on your own. And, you know, the hero, the person who persevered and didn't need anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's very antithetical to our attachment, our natural attachment needs to be that independent, you know? Um, And so I think it becomes a shadow in that way. And, and if you think about it, yeah, so it's, 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 I think that what your initial question was just about how you used to kind of feel that like you wanted that quality, right. In that, Mm -hmm. that, that person had. Yeah. And, and so that's why actually helping that shadow is noticing it. And then the anxious person, it helps them to learn how to self-soothe the way the um, avoidant person does, which is to tell themselves like, it's okay. I feel this way right now, you know, And also to remind yourself that actually when an avoidant person, when it feels really personal and they're ignoring you, it very rarely actually has to do with you and has to do with the fact that they're overwhelmed and they actually have shame around that themselves. Yeah. Um, And so it's like us saying to ourselves, like, this is just my attachment right now. I'm just, you know, like, 
I'm going to feel this way and it's natural, but I'm actually okay. And telling yourself like, you know, you are loved or whatever the specific situation is reassuring yourself, like you're going to be okay, you know, and it's very hard to do that if you're anxious and have never done it before, but it's a great practice. Yeah, definitely. It can be kind of dark sometimes, but like when you come out the other side, it's so beautiful. I mean, uh, last year I went into my cave, right? So my metaphorical cave in my room was dark. And um, I surrendered into the anxiety around losing my partner. Like that just, you know, took its head out of the sand for no reason whatsoever. There was no fight, no nothing. You know, as soon as you get comfortable and you're happy. Yes. Like, hey, here's a little fear. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to come destroy your life. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) in that moment, I decided, okay, I'm going to, you know, go meet the dragon I'm gonna face this like beast on my own head on because that's not like me to do so I am someone who thrives from community and having support Um, but for some reason call it that nagging intuition it was like girl you got to do this on your own this time this is a biggie Mm -hmm. it's a big one and I think it's because the relationship that I'm in right now is super conscious it is very much in alignment it's like I think you know I don't want to be all this is the one but like this is the one Um, yeah (laughs) your intuition knows yeah exactly so I was like right let's let's do something different and it it sounds really dark right but I you know airplane mode went when my room surrendered into the fear and what I did was I just really went through the worst case scenario so okay he falls out of love with you then what he meets somebody else and she's beautiful then what you're alone and unhappy then what let's just keep adding layers of fears okay you get you get out of shape and and you lose your job then what and you just go down this spiral and then you know I kind of began to realize well hang on a second I've been here before okay I pick myself up I get the dust off okay then I'll go do my career. I'll go have fun. I'll go meet my girls. I was like, I'll be fine. I'll literally be fine. And I just had to like spend, honestly, it took a long time. I mean, like hours. I was just going through the narratives until I reached a point of acceptance. So the acceptance is of a potential truth, a potential reality, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. though that, even though nothing happened to suggest that, um, and then the next day I didn't meet my partner. He's got no idea that this went on. And I'm just like, you know what? I am so happy and I am so in this and I am no longer in this relationship out of fear. And like, I don't want that fear to drive me, you know, because I think if you let that take over, then you're not mm-hmm. actually being authentic in a relationship. You're in a relationship to like put the other person's needs before your own. Exactly. Exactly. And that is like one of the biggest focuses I have with my clients is making that internal shift, which you kind of almost almost have to get, I'm going to say that again, you almost have to get into your subconscious to do, mm. you know, um, I'm doing Lacey Phillips to be magnetic now. I don't know if you're familiar. I, I, um, I'm familiar with Lacey Phillips. I know she's incredible, her shadow work stuff. And I, I've done some, some of her unblocking money. Um, and that was really good. So oh, I'm psyched for you. Yeah, it's super cool because it's all about re, you know, 
uh, reframing or relearning or creating new rather neural pathways, mm. but you have to kind of block, unblock the shadows from your old neural pathways and reprogram them for it to be new neural pathways by like changing the memory. It's really related to a lot of inner child work. Um, but the self-soothing piece is a huge part. And I love that you did that, the fear that you're talking about. It's, and that's a really great like um, exercise in itself, which is to see the worst case scenario and realize like, well, I can like even, and if you actually like play it out in your head, I think that's helping get to your subconscious a little because you're actually feeling, because apparently your subconscious doesn't know the difference between what really happens and what just happens in your mm. um, dreams, which is why dreams have a very like therapeutic quality to them of processing. Mm. So it's to, when you say what's the worst case scenario and you let yourself envision it and let yourself like imagine how you would like deal with that situation and being able to realize, wait a minute, I can deal with that. I see a reality in which I'm capable of that. That helps your subconscious self-worth say you're capable. And I think by you going through that process and then that's the whole thing with shadow work is literally putting, shining a light on the shadow, shining a light on this darkness that you don't wanna admit exists, but like you said, is true nonetheless and is guiding so many forces in your life because it's true you know and so when you like actively come into yourself and get in touch with that it's like you you uncovered all these little relationship shadows and you accepted them as your own and you then made the conscious choice to trust your partner and to just like that leap of faith of vulnerability we were talking about you decided like he is someone who's worthy of my leap of faith and I don't want to miss out on like this magic that I feel like is pulling me, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, that to me is why my soul comes alive in connection with people. Because I think that the right people help you understand the truth within yourself, you oh, know? Yes. So yeah, that's beautiful. Yes, 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 yes. And in every relationship, all the shitty ones, like you learn so much about yourself Mm-hmm. And, you know, just going back to that kind of uh, exercise I did and like what I went through there, also like opening up to my partner about it afterwards. Um, well, a little bit before and a little bit afterwards, mm-hmm. um, a bit more afterwards, should I say. Um, that that was extremely healing because I think, you know, when we, you know, like you mentioned in the beginning, your vulnerability is truly, you know, your strength it's everything Mm -hmm. that creates a a relationship especially a conscious one but when you like open up to your partner about say this biggest fear and like for me that was really embarrassing like my partner sees me as like a queen you know I'm not you know I'm taking care of myself like we're in this together and we're also like totally individual and in support of each other's dreams um and I was embarrassed to say like, hey, so I had this huge fear yesterday that you were gonna leave me and I wanna talk to you about it because that was so out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And um, by doing that, I gave him permission to open up to me. Yes. And I never expected him to be like, wow, I actually had a bit of a similar thing. And that was super healing. And it's mm-hmm. like the dialogue, the dialogue is everything. It really is. And I think that's exactly it is that the truth is you are taking a chance. One of two things happens when you're vulnerable and when you open up to someone. One is that your biggest fear comes true, which when you've sat and imagined what your biggest fear is, 
you're mentally prepared a little, it will still hurt, but that is information. And that's how they, you know, an attachment talk and in um, the book Attached, I refer to a lot that a lot of people have read. They talk about how everything, when you take that leap, the way the person responds is informing you of something. It's giving you information. And if they respond in a way that makes you feel worse, you know, you'll know it. And that's information about how they're going to be as a partner. So even early on, taking that little leap is helpful because it goes one of two ways. Either you realize like this person's not making me feel better. They're making me feel worse. Or you go the other way and like you did and like I have where you do it. But that person, if they are truly your, you know, someone who can be a viable significant other to you and support you in life, they will be able to receive. And like you said, you're even saying it will give them permission. You're creating that safe space by doing it. You're saying, I'm going here with you. I believe in you enough to receive this. And when they do receive that, um, that's where the magic happens, right? That's where you build intimacy and like true trust that I can be this vulnerable with someone And they will not only hold me, they will share themselves and reassure me like I need, especially when we're anxious attachments, like that moment of healing is reassurance, is him giving you what you need so badly, which is to say, I'm not leaving you. I love you. And even when you do things that you think make you look like less than a queen, you are still a queen to me. And actually in saying it, you're even more of a queen because you're showing your true strength, you know? Um, and so it's so scary to do, but it's just trusting that the right person, like that's the test. Are they going to be able to receive you? And it's little moments every single day where like, even now, you know, and I'm sure you can relate to this. You have a partner you trust, but that little anxious piece still comes up sometimes. Like for me, at least, you know, like if I don't do something like, is he going to be mad at me, you know, or (laughs) is this bothering him? but I've learned the art of asking. And I simply say like, hey babe, are you mad at me right now? And he'll say either, well, I mean, I didn't appreciate X, Y, and Z, or he'll say, no, I'm fine. And I'll be like, okay, I'm just being you know, anxious right now. you know. And you just see how it pops up in your life every single day. It, it's in so many little things, the worry pops up and understanding what that is and where it comes from and what you need for it. Like for me, sometimes I can be like, Taryn, chill, you're fine. And that's me reassuring myself. But in other moments, you know, you know, and my husband's secure and he's made me more secure. Anxious people and secure people get along really well because the secure person has no problem reassuring the anxious person. And that makes them feel more secure over time. Mm -hmm. And so because attachment styles are basically like plastic, they're malleable, they're and they can shift depending on the relationship. We generally have a core style that shows up most of the time. But depending who we're relating to, it can slightly change. So I'm more secure in my relationship with my husband, right? But I still have little anxious pieces that pop up, but he can reassure me of them and be, and like, it just quiets me. And I think that your partner does the same for you, it sounds like, you know? Yeah, I love that so much. Like, it is so important to stress that like these attachment styles are malleable and they're Mm -hmm. high and low and light and dark, right? And like, yeah it's definitely it's definitely not something to like dictate your whole like dating life upon or anything like that one thing that's been really I don't know like illuminative is that award in my journey is that um you know I I think it's a bit of uh like pop culture that 
being single and being independent or even being um, like a kind of more air quote free style of sexuality, like polyamorous or um, something like, like this is, is super like is more conscious or is more expansive or is, is better for your life because you're not tied down and you are more I guess like expansive in terms of like what you're experiencing and your levels of happiness and pleasure and and all this kind of thing and I really you know I kind of beat myself up when I was younger about this because I knew intuitively like within my core whether it was my attachment style speaking my upbringing my childhood or whatever it was that you know what I can thrive on my own but I think I can thrive more in a relationship And what I've found is when I'm in a secure and healthy and conscious relationship, my goodness, do I thrive? And I mean this in like all of the areas outside of my relationship, because I feel so held and connected, I feel like I can do more. And I, and I often find it with people, you know, when they ask, oh, are you monogamous? Are you in a closed relationship? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh you know that's limiting um and I'm like is it though and I also don't like to say that anything is ever fixed it triggers the life out of me right now to to think about our relationship being open in the future however I have the conscious awareness that potentially it could be I'm so different to who I was five years ago five years ahead maybe I want to spice it up in that kind of way you know what do you think about that? I think that's a great question. Um, I was actually experimenting in the polyamorous community. Um, and I was never polyamorous, but one of my close friends is. And I was going to some, you know, uh, I don't know how else to say this, but sex parties, <laughs> you know, um, where that was, I was very involved in that community. One of my ex-boyfriends was a nudist and he was very involved in that community. That's where I met him. Um, and there's a, definitely a distinction, I think, between people who are truly polyamorous and then people who are in it, um, in a swinging kind of way, like just for the sex. I think there's different people within that community and different ways to, you know, different individuals, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. cause it's a community. Um, what I will say is I do think on a certain level that community in and of itself is a little more conscious just because there are certain, you know, there's certain decorum when you're sleeping with a lot of people, which is being honest more and, yeah. you know, making sure like people who take it seriously, they can talk about things, I think, sometimes more easily than the average person because they're used to very up being very upfront, at least when it comes to you know, who you slept with, what, you know, if you have any diseases, like what you're using, when you last got tested, you know? Um, so there's like an intimacy up front, I think, and like a, a respectful acknowledgement that I don't necessarily think that level of consciousness is, you know, we don't have rules like that as much in our general dating world. We have things like open the door, who pays for dinner, who, you know, which are also very rooted in these like gender constructs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but being respectful and, and vulnerable up front, I think is more rare, you know, in the overall dating world. Um, but so 
but to the point of, you know, attachment wise, I'd say there could be many different reasons why people are in that community. Um, meaning like maybe people who are avoidant, it's easier for them to sleep around and not get attached, right? I as an anxious attachment tried it. And I, I definitely like I've met two people in that community. One became a boyfriend. The other one I was like dating for a while. Mm -hmm. And they're the only people I wanted to really sleep with when I was there. Like when I had the opportunity, this is me, everyone's different, you know? Um, And, and this might not may or may not have to do with my attachment style. I'm sure it's a little bit a part of it, but like, I prefer getting attached to one person. Now my husband and I have both talked about in the future, same thing. Like it's something to consider, you know, because I can see where people and like they're, you can enjoy sex, I think, without getting attached, but you have to be a really, really conscious person to do it, I think, um, to do it in a health, healthy way. And I've seen it done. It can be done, but you have to be willing to go to that place of vulnerability more easily and more regularly, I think, because you have more people to have those kinds of conversations with, yeah. you know? Um, and I do think that there's a certain level, though, of like what you were saying, like almost there's a weird... Um, sometimes a backlash of that community, not to say everyone in it is like this, but I think culturally there's a little bit of people who are in that community start like questioning monogamy altogether and saying that it's unnatural. And I don't think that's true. I think that what you were saying about knowing when you have a partner, you'll be your highest self. That's not because that's, that's because your partner is helping support you in being more you that's not because you're codependent. And I think that gets confused sometimes. And that's the difference is that truly codependent people can't function without each other. And so in the book Attached, they make this distinction between self-sufficiency and independence. And that women, we post-feminist America, we wanna be self-sufficient. We don't want to worry if we have a man to have money. We want to be able to buy our own things. We want to be able to claim ourselves as full individuals and not just part of a unit, right? Mm. But no, like all humans need other humans. That's why we have attachment systems. It's biologically programmed in us to want to connect deeply with other people and specifically to have a life partner who, again, is looking out for your survival as much as our, as I'm looking out for your survival, you know, like we're, we're programmed to want to connect deeply with certain significant people. That's why we connect that same way with children because it's again, survival. And I know that takes the romance out of it sometimes when I describe it this way, but I really try to um, reinforce the science behind it, that it's very natural to want to connect with people. And I think you know, the question I get asked a lot, which I feel like is a little bit at the root of your question is how can attachment be healthy if like, there's also this idea of your like being spiritually non-attached is the goal. Mm. Like maybe, I don't know if you've heard that before, but. Yeah, that's, um, a, that, that's a really brilliant way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, you know, Buddhism, especially, which like I you know, Buddhism guides a lot of how I think spiritually. I'm, you know, Jewish by family, um, but like Buddhist philosophy really, you know, resonates with me. And so this idea of non-attachment, people have asked me that before because that's a goal, right? And I, to me, that means being non-attached or seeking that, it doesn't literally mean like don't have attachments to people. I think that 
it means not being attached to a certain outcome because Buddhism is all about living in the present moment and making peace with whatever's going on, right? <laughs> and specifically talking with anxious attachment, it's so interesting because anxious attachment, like the thing we do is we get preoccupied with a relationship and how it will go, right? Like if you think about it, those past relationships, the fear is they're gonna leave me. Where, or how is it going to turn out? We're preoccupied with how it's going to end. That's what we're being attached to. You know, we are, of course, bonding with that person in the present, but like true vulnerability and connection happens in the present moment. And when you're anxious, the very nature of anxiety, you're worrying about the future, right? So to me, what it just means, like putting a Buddhist, like, you know, perspective on it just means living in the present moment and not worrying about the outcome and because you have to be vulnerable and connect in the present moment. So not being attached to where the relationship goes, like that idea. I mean, obviously it calms us down to know this person's in it with me. And that's what we really need. We don't need to know what, like we're gonna get married. We don't need to know what our future is gonna look like. We need to know that you are truly like intimately in this with me right now in the present moment. But we start to think it means we need to know where this relationship is going when that's less really of the issue, I think. It's just feeling safe. And those kinds of things make us feel safe, thinking we know we're gonna get married, thinking we know we're gonna live together, thinking you said you love me, like those things make us feel safe. So we focus on them, but it's really present that we need to just have our needs met, you know? You are giving me a life right now, (laughs) literally the magic that is pouring from your mouth. Honestly, it's just so good. I like you. I definitely think that, you know, so I dipped my toe in the world of polyamory, been to sex parties, things like this. And if it taught me one thing, it was that every single person is just so different and has different needs and there is nothing wrong or right and none of this you know bullshit like which is more conscious it's it's who you are and what your love language is and what your needs are and bringing consciousness to that it's not like a scale that a diagram that you can put in a piece of paper of like this plus this equals like a higher consciousness or a higher or higher relationship state no, it's about like understanding yourself and, you know, diving into the sexuality that best supports that. Um, and I just love, I love, love, love how you kind of dissected that. Mm, I know this is a juicy episode, my friends. And if you're vibing, go ahead, take a screenshot, upload it to your story and tag Soul Deep Podcast so I can see. And if possible, leave a review on whatever platform you're streaming from. This really helps the podcast grow, reach more people and connect like-minded souls. And if you want to go even deeper, become a Soul Deep patron for as little as £1.11 per month, where you'll get access to exclusive Soul Deeper sessions with the guests on this show where we spill juicy tea and give you free love, guidance, and advice. Search Soul Deep Podcast on Patreon and join the community. With Buddhism as well, like, so something that was really healing for me, and I guess 
it's not really about relationships um it's about like romantic relationships it's about my relationship with my dad so he unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago and he committed suicide and a couple of years after his death maybe I think it was about two years after he died I started going to this Buddhist temple and I went there every single Sunday and I really got involved with the community I made really good friends with the teachers and the monks and I was really really struggling with his death and I had you know I had gone to therapy and I had um, a lot of support around me as well and I just felt more comfortable talking to this Buddhist about it so I rang him and I said I really really want to talk to you after our meditation on Sunday and he was like sure and this guy is like a monk right um, and we met up after the meditation and I just burst into tears and I was like I need help because I just can't detach from my grief I just can't get away from you know what happened to my dad and I have never seen a monk cry, but he cried. And he was like, you don't need to detach from that. He was like, you need to be present. He was like, it's not about detaching from your emotions and what's, and what, what's happening and what you're feeling. It's detaching from everything around that and being present in this moment and in your body and with Mm -hmm. your emotions. And that broke me. And I never forget that moment because exactly how you have said with your relationships I bring that back to this day in my relationships like romantically what is coming up for me what is this fear what is this emotion what is this feeling that is being triggered here and like Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not even about understanding where it came from right because we only remember so much of our childhood it's just about being with it now exactly oh I love that you just gave me chills 100%. 100%. It To me, it's detaching from the judgments we have about our feelings, right? Like you, whatever was going through your body that you actually weren't leaning into your grief in a present way because you maybe had mental feelings or judgments, or I don't know if you relate to any of that, yeah. of the fact that you were grieving for so long. Like maybe what's wrong with me? Why can't I get over this? So, and those very judgments keep us from feeling those things. It like puts this like you know, so we're not truly feeling the feeling to process it and move on from it. And so that's the detachment I think he's talking about is detaching from the outside world's views of what's happening inside of you and just accepting like you did in your room that day, what is going on and trusting that by letting yourself feel it, the answer will come from processing it, you know? Absolutely. Literally all feelings want is to be felt. And we have this crazy Western idea that if we don't feel them, they go away. But that's just <laughs> not true. We got a yeah. backlog. Yeah, oh. no, that's not true. <laughs> or I'm helpful. loving this conversation so much. Um, I want to talk a little bit about manifestation because I know that you do some like relationship manifestation work. Um, and I'd love to know from your perspective and the work that you do, how can you manifest um, and maintain a healthy and conscious relationship? I love that question. Um, Well, the reason I call um, my business truer love and my tagline is a holistic approach to true love is because 
I think after everything I went through in my own life, I realized that what a, the kind of relationship we're all longing for is kind of like I've said, like someone who helps us be our most authentic self, you know, who supports us on that journey that we're all on throughout life of, you know, at least when we're on a conscious journey, it's trying to become our highest selves and you want to surround your people. You want to surround yourself with people who support that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so to me, that's the first step is like everything we've been talking about is if you want to manifest that you have to be that yourself and live that, live that authenticity, you know? So you start with looking at your shadows and understanding things like your attachment style or whatever else resonates with you, you know? Um, and, and just knowing kind of, you know, and the reason I love attachment is because it forces us to look at our needs, which as women or as whatever the case may be, sometimes we don't look at our own needs truly, we're placing judgment on them. And that's really what it all comes down to is it feels selfish or something to look at our own needs, but we have to be in a peaceful place to attract what we're truly aligned with and in an accepting place of ourselves. And that self-compassion piece, you know, that's why it's so big because when you're kind to yourself, you're able to see your shadows honestly, you know? Um, you're, you're able to treat yourself the way you would treat a child or a friend or someone else you love, give them that same compassion and give it to yourself so that you can heal and then open yourself up to like being who you're meant to be and attract who you're supposed to attract. Um, of course, dating itself and creating those kind of relationships, you know, you reach a point where you're very actualized and you're self-aware And that's kind of like, to me, that's the work that's preparing you. Like Oprah says, you know, luck is really preparedness meets opportunity. And so to me, the self-work is the preparedness, right? And there's this kind of misconception that, you know, when I, if I'm someone who is self-aware and I really want to be conscious and I go out into the world to date and someone triggers me, and then I feel like I'm like, you know, going backwards on this journey that I've come so far and it can be really frustrating for very conscious people. But the truth is what I tell them is, look, we can only be conscious in and of ourselves to a point. And the difference with doing relationship work of any kind and doing self-work is that relationship work, you don't have control over the other person. You only have control over yourself. And the fact is you're naturally going to react to someone no matter how conscious you are someone still can trigger you. And just because you get triggered doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're not doing the work. And that's to me why it's so important to understand attachment. A lot of people ask me, how can I fix my attachment style? How can I be more secure? And it's like, you can take actions like to try and be more secure, like being more self-soothing, you know, being kinder to yourself, being more forgiving. And I teach people how to do that. However, there's certain, there's a level of acceptance you have to have about what you need. And I need reassurance. And that's always going to be the case for me, probably 70% of people have the same attachment style most of their lives. And so I know that that's going to be my natural reaction to things. And it's accepting that and then acting more securely when I can, you know, and so Mm -hmm. like, that's why you want to become as fully actualized as you can. But also a piece of that is just also accepting yourself as you are, you know, and And then being able to do that for someone else. And 
yeah, there's so many more steps to it. Of course, I mean, giving people, I mean, cause like a lot of things I notice in the dating world is we can be very judgmental of people. And that comes out so much when we start dating because it's like our ego is afraid. And so we start judging them and just, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and how can you get to know someone without that judgment? Give them, I try to encourage people to be more open and give people more the benefit of the doubt at the beginning, knowing, you know, that like, and I, I say that, but like, you also need to be cautious. But when I say be cautious, I mean, keep checking in with yourself, you know, be open with them, but each step of the way, notice what are they bringing up in you? Because when we have anxiety, that's our intuition telling us we're not okay with something, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who we feel good with is not going to keep triggering us. And if someone is, if you're feeling anxious all the time, trying to figure out why, you know, and where it shows up in your body and things like that. Absolutely. I love this so much. I think, yeah, you're right. Like there's so much to manifesting. And like, I think sometimes when we say the word manifest, people think it's like this super woo-woo, like I'm going to write him down on a piece of paper and blow it into the wind. And then he's going to show up. Like, obviously it's not like you think of the law of attraction. You can't spell attraction without action. And the action that we're talking about here is stepping into your most authentic self as much as you possibly can in this moment in time and allowing the path to unfold and just trusting in the timing and Mm -hmm. I read when I was like maybe 20 I think um Pussy by Regina Thomas-Sieur I don't know if you've heard of this book but I've heard of it but I haven't read it absolutely fantastic would recommend it's like one of those books that you read and you laugh out loud like it's so hilarious and crude and empowering and it's all the things and I remember reading this book when I um like got my first apartment on my own and I wanted to do me I started studying a master's degree was living living on my own feeling super independent and I was working part-time as well um, and, and then I was reading this book, just the cherry on the cake. And she said somewhere in this book about like being yourself and in, enjoying yourself and indulging into yourself and trusting that when that happens, you will meet the right person if, if that is what you're looking for. And if you don't, you have to trust that. And another part of it was like, okay, so say you have someone in mind what are their things what what are they into uh, and does that align with you because a lot of the time like we are projecting who we think we want to be with yes very and much. then exactly and then I think a big part of being yourself is doing the things that you love and there's a good chance you're going to meet that person in this way you know mm-hmm. like I thought I was going to meet my partner in a coffee shop because I'm a I love like you know modern coffee shops and like high street coffee shops like you not chains but like independent stores and I had it in my head that I was going to meet you know my one there and I kind of met someone there um, and it you know was a karmic connection but that was really interesting and you know I think like this is this is really really important and then obviously it's the other things as well like you talk about so much that like self-connection, that self-love and yeah, that is absolutely key. And for me, I think I was 24. Um, I may have said this on another podcast, but I, I was like fed up of the fuck boys and I was fed up of the dating arena. And, and I just knew, I was like, do you know what? Like, I just, 
I know I want to be with someone and and I know I'm happy right now and I'm single but like I I know that I want that for myself and and it was taking up my time and energy like with the single anxiety and worrying about that so I sat down one night and I wrote in my journal a list of 10 things that I just love about myself like what makes me the most ideal partner and and I was loving this by the end of the list I was like "Mm, honey like I'm just gonna date myself and then I made a list of 10 things that I want in a future partner um, and I really, really, you know, took my time on that one. I made sure not to be too specific because I was 24 and I was like, I change my taste for food every five minutes. Like, but I was just the things that are important to me. I, I wrote that down and I said to the universe, I don't care if I'm 26 or 60, this is him. And I'll know it when it happens. And I'm not looking anymore. I'm not looking anymore. And I cannot tell you the freedom that gives to me Mm -hmm. to just like and I and I think this helped me with anxiety was like I had this inner knowing that I'm not going to be single forever I think people really struggle with the anxiety around being single but when you have this trust that hey you know what I'm not going to be single anymore and this is this probably sounds a bit psychotic in, in a way but like I actually wrote my future partner like love poems and like before I even met them and I was like this is what I'm gonna say to them and this is this is a scenario I'm manifesting, you know, and it all happened. It all happened. That's amazing. And um, and I've been doing this Lacey stuff. So all her manifestation formula is in my head right now. And she talks a lot about how writing things down physically with a pen on paper really helps our neural pathways form more clearly. It's like um, something about the way that your brain just interprets putting it down on paper makes it solid for you. So I think that's a big part of it. I'm curious if you remember or if you feel comfortable sharing like some of the things you put on that list. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I actually had my journal here because I would like 100% read it out. So first of all, like, yeah, 24 and I do have like a taste. So it is the classic like, okay, tall, dark, handsome, but in a way that like, I don't know what it is. I think physical attraction is important. And I knew I've always wanted to be with someone. And this obviously is very telling of my anxious attachment style. Someone who could put their arms around me and I would feel like so protected and warm and like almost smothered, like someone bigger than me. And I'm very small, so that's not hard. But I mean, like, you know, someone tall. And like, it's just really ironic because I'm like five foot. And, you know, it's like, I could be with a, a short guy, but then like, no, I need to feel like, like I need someone to be like a big bear. Um, so that was, that was one thing that was important to me. I had um, a very, a very important thing to me is uh, humor. So I want someone who will like piss themselves laughing at me and with me and together. And like, I want to have sore cheeks. And like, I've got like a really goofy, like, immature sense of humor like like a kid humor and I like that is so important to me like everyone's got different styles of humor you know and like that play so 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 important to me other things on that list were uh, things like again more into like the, the pussy book like but I really wanted to feel worshipped like a temple like a goddess um without there being like a uh, 
you know, a non-egalitarian relationship. I still want that and I still want equity, but I also want to be fucking worshipped. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be devoured in that sense and drunk in. Um, so that was another one. And then uh, a big part of it as well, and I think this was like maybe number five, I'm trying to visualize my journal. It was, um, it was that whoever I am with is also totally committed to uh, personal development because I want to grow interpersonally for the rest of my life. I never want to reach a plateau. I always want to be expanding in new ways. You know, I, I, I remind myself on a daily basis that when you die, you leave your body behind. Like I'm always caring for my soul. And I, I want someone to match me in that regard. And I want to be able to have these deep discussions and, and all this kind of thing. And then I think other things were just like, you know, like again, a very important weight upon play, like play and dance and like having this kind of free relationship. Um, so those are definitely the, oh, and obviously communication. I am very, very communicative. Don't know if you can tell. But um, <laughs> you, yeah. <laughs> so that was another big one as well. And and what's really really funny is I'm just gonna tell you a quick story. When I was in another relationship, um, I got really really attached to this person, and it was a pretty, mm, it was a kind of unhealthy relationship. But it wasn't like it didn't have like big uh, red flags. It was just like mm, something off. And I knew I was attached to this person when I went back to my list and I was trying to mold them into that list, mm. they did not fit that list. And I love that. Yeah. And to the point where uh, this, this guy was short and I was like, I, I just can't like, there's nothing I can fix all the other lines a tiny bit. He's communicative in this way. And he's kind of funny in this way, but I can't change his height. So um, yeah, height is a tell. big one for people. Um, I, I'm glad you listed all that. It's a beautiful list. And my first thing that I want to say is that I think the reason that you manifested is because you do exactly what I tell my clients to do, which is rather than manifesting from a place of visualizing all of that person's qualities, which is usually what people tend to do when they make lists, right? And you had some of those on your list, like tall, dark, and handsome, right? People will write down that a lot. They'll have, they'll write, he has, or he or she, it doesn't matter, whoever's doing this, they have a good job. You mm. know, they're funny, they're family oriented, kind of these generalizations, right? That like, by and large, most of us want, you mm. know, they're kind of the more superficial qualities. Obviously being funny and smart is all important, but when you, what you did is you got really specific and you tapped into what you wanted and needed on a feeling level thinking about how you wanted to feel in that relationship mm, yeah. versus just thinking about their qualities, right? Because that's what happens, I think, is people write down these qualities of what they want and they do manifest that, mm. but they're not, again, manifesting from a truly aligned, true place. They're manifesting from what you had said before, their projection of what they think they want. And they're not really considering how they want to feel within this relationship. Like you said, like feeling like I'm devoured like a queen, feeling like I can like piss myself laughing with this person. Like those are all very visceral descriptions. Play, do you know what I mean? They're very specific and they're very present focused because like we've been talking about true intimacy is in the present moment. And those are all examples. Being hugged like a bear. I mean, I feel like 
my husband's arms were like made for me to fit in them. It's like, <laughs> and he calls it like, I need a recharge. Cause in the middle of the day, luckily with quarantine, we've been like living and working together every day, but I'll literally just need a hug for like a few minutes. And it's like, I'm a battery that just needed some charge and then, okay, I'm good to go, you know? And, and like, that is totally healthy and normal and does not mean anyone's codependent. That's just attachment at its best. Cause like you said, I knew I'd be my best self in a relationship because truly when we have the foundation people you can be secure on your own but it's really when you have a secure base to start from like if you just think about child development when you have a secure base to start from you then feel more secure to be independent a lot of the time you know but that's shamed a lot this idea that we need someone else to feel better and I think there's a difference between being securely attached to someone and being truly validated by someone because my husband doesn't validate me. I know for myself, I, you know, but he can reassure me to give me extra support, you know? Um, and to, so anyway, I'm going on a tangent, but the idea of the, this like physical, you know, I want to fit in them and just feel totally encapsulated by them. That all came from your true feeling place. And I think that's why you were able to manifest it. And that is the key. And that's why knowing yourself and loving yourself is so important in manifesting what you want because you have to be willing to be honest with yourself. Yeah. If you can't be honest with yourself, you're not gonna be able to be truly honest with someone else. And then what's the point? Yeah, that's it. Like it all boils down to feeling because this is the energetics of manifesting. Mm -hmm. It's not about the, it's not physically about what you write. It truly is like how you feel. Like you're literally putting out into the energetic fields of, of that mm -hmm. a, a vision yep. one thing that like I think is so 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 healing and I think that there can be some uh I don't know trouble when it comes to uh, relationships is is witnessing because I think we often underestimate the sheer power of witnessing and, and holding space and you know you get a lot of the time in relationships when you come up to boundaries and edges within within the container that you know we we get triggered like we've talked about or feelings arise that come from like a deeper place from a, a different negative pattern um from maybe a tragic experience or trauma and I think you know sometimes you hear a lot oh you made me feel this way or because you did that you made me feel this way kind of thing and I think you know even within conscious relationships, this can this can happen because you know we're human. Um, and what I have found so healing in my in my relationship now, you know, we we do check-ins, but um, even when we don't, even when we're not doing check-ins, we really do take responsibility for our own feelings, but in a way that we're still bringing it to the table so that one can be witnessed and one can be held. So if it's like okay. I'm going to tell you the story that's happening in my head because you did this, this, and this, it means this, this, and this about me. So right now I'm feeling anxious and unloved and undesirable. And because of this kind of container that we've created, that other person does not take it personally. And they do not put up a defense in moments like this, where everything in your body wants to like step back. It's, leaning in it's leaning in and saying okay right I'm gonna just park up my ego I'm just gonna listen to my partner I'm gonna let them tell me their story and then I'm just gonna reflect back 
and I'm going to tell them, you know, what's actually happening. And sometimes doing this points out just someone else's blind spot, like, hey, I'm not the cause of this. I'm just being me. I'm just doing this. So where is this actually coming from? And being witnessed in that dynamic can actually allow you to dig deeper into that like subconscious part of yourself. A hundred percent. And I think that's because we like, when you build the trust in the beginning, in those little ways, like we were talking about before, when you take that leap to say, I'm going to be true with this person and I'm going to be vulnerable, it creates, like we, I said, this foundation so that what you've done is you've created a safe space. And like you're saying, container, you've created a safe container with this person so that now when you go to communicate with them, there's always this kind of, I like to call it, I think I mentioned this in the workshop we did, the pillow of trust, right? This pillow that's always kind of at the base of everything of, we already know we love and respect each other and that whatever is said in this space is gonna be non-judgmental. And I'm just gonna tell you my process as it happens for me. That's what it sounds like to me, right? And I think yeah. that's what we do is like, I'm trying to explain to you my thought process and how, and my feelings and how I arrived at this. I don't wanna blame you for it, but I want you to understand how it felt in me and how it triggered me. And I don't think that's intentional on your part necessarily, or maybe you don't realize that when you do this, it makes me feel this way. Um, and so you're already starting, like you build that up every single day, that trust muscle, every time you're honest with them, every time you follow through, every time you, know, you don't judge them when they share something you're creating that space so that when you need to have a more intense conversation about something specific, it feels easier because you're both already in the same space about it, you know? And that's what's like so sacred about it is this safety and this ultimate trust that we have together and that's special within us and, and I don't necessarily have with someone else, you know? Um, yeah. It's interesting because I remember a friend telling me that um, a significant partner or, a, you know, a spouse, whatever you want to call them. Um, the reason that relationship is so unique is because you have to be multiple roles. You have to play multiple roles for that person, or you end up playing multiple roles, meaning that yes, my partner is my lover, but he's also a friend. And he's also in a way, a parent, right? Cause he takes care of me and I take care of him the way parents do with children. And, and that's not to say that's not an unhealthy, healthy way as much, you know, like, but that we were children once and it feels good to be taken care of by your partner. That's the part where you are, I think you're talking about being a queen, you know, and feeling, you know, you want someone who's going to take care of you and vice versa. And so when you fill multiple roles for this, for someone, that's such a rare thing, right? To find someone who can be all of these things to you. And I think that's what makes it like so special. And it takes a lot of consciousness to maintain that, I think, because there's so many, there's so many feelings, there's so many moving parts within that, you know? Oh, I love that so much. Like literally hearing you say that just made me feel so warm and fluffy because it's something that's so important to me. Like, yeah, we're adults and we're in a relationship, but we, within both of us, we have an inner child. And yes. like, if you're not caring for that inner child, like you're not being fully nourished and fulfilled in your relationship. And like, I don't care like what anyone has to say about this, like your inner child exists and you absolutely have to like care for them always. Mm -hmm. And in all areas, you have to care for them with food, 
with lifestyle, with play, with art, and with relationships and with your friends. Like it is so, 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 so important. And like, yes, that's been super healing for me. Like in my relationship now, sometimes we have this thing. Oh gosh, this is so embarrassing. I'm gonna say this. We have this thing called like baby bear. And you know when I'm in baby bear mode because I'm just, I'm literally being a baby bear. And that's how you know my inner child is like, hey, I need some play. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. Yeah, love that. That's so cute. Yeah, and I think it's like, that's the test sometimes is like, is someone willing to go there with you and like, let you be your childlike self and be free. You know, when you think about children, they're free and they're just who they are. They don't know about the judgments of the, or the rules yet, you know, Mm -hmm. and you want to, like you said, play, you want to be with someone who you can be that with, you know? Um, yeah. So it's, and again, it all comes down to presence and, and presence with yourself, presence with the other person. self-compassion and these things sound so trite when you just list them but when you really break it down and you realize like that is the root of a conscious relationship absolutely absolutely presence trust and and truth yeah 100 let's get it tattooed presence trust truth <laughs> what's been the most common kind of struggle that you've come across with with your clients and people that you've worked with mm. That's a good question. I think the hardest thing to coach on um, and to help people with is detaching from a really deep attachment. I've had a few clients who have people who they have, were maybe dating at one time but have broken up with um, and who they just can't let go of. And they've tried dating other people and they will find people, but um, a lot of a lot of the time, those relationships are the anxious avoidant dynamic, because it's usually the avoidant person has withdrawn, and the anxious person never got the reassurance they need. So they're kind of stuck in this holding pattern of waiting for you to reassure them, but you're never going to. Yeah. And those can be, I think, the most painful to bounce back from, because it takes a lot of that anxious person who is so deep in that dynamic reassuring themselves that they can move on and they're okay without that person and really believing it on a subconscious level, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so, and I, I feel so much for people in this situation because I had been through it so many times. I feel like I got heartbroken so many times from this. Um, And I would just go in my room and make a cave and listen to the saddest music ever. And I actually made, (laughs) I made a healing heartbreak playlist for these clients of mine. Um, you, I mean, I, I made it for anyone who needs it, but um, to just like, honestly, let yourself, I think a lot of the times in those dynamics, people, like we said, the judgment, they judge themselves for holding on. They judge themselves for like being stupid and going after the same kind of person. Like there's so much negative self-talk, I think in that situation that they're not truly grieving it. Like it needs to be grieved and it really needs to be grieved like a death because you have been attached to someone and then they won't be in your life. And in a way it's a death in that way. And it really needs to be honored in that way. And, and so that's the point of the playlist is to go in and just let yourself kind of accept that you loved this person, which is opposite of sometimes what people tell you to do, which is forget about them, move on. It's like yeah. stuff your feelings. And I don't think continuing to see the person is necessarily the best path. I find that in these dynamics, 
there's usually a lot of breaking up and getting back together, which makes it very hard to eventually move on because you keep seeing that person. And that means you're reattaching to them each time yeah. you do it. So, but I do think you can miss them, actively miss them, let yourself miss them, lean into the sadness there and just feel all your feelings and trust that it's going to heal over time. But you can't deny that you're feeling that way and you are doing yourself an injustice or a disservice by not admitting that you really felt something for this someone without judgment, you know, um, it's a process. It doesn't happen the same way for everyone. And so navigating that as a coach can be a little difficult of like, do I give you tough love and tell you not to talk to them? Or do I let you like ride it out, you know? And so I have some clients who like, it's really a week to week thing with them. Such a beautiful answer. Like, yeah, I, I've definitely seen this a lot with my friends as well. And I think this is why your work is so important like this is why because you don't get taught this shit in schools you know and nope. yeah you got you got you get advice from everyone right what people love to give free advice whether it's good or it's not and like I genuinely believe that like everyone should have a relationship coach when they're in a certain point in their life I wish I had one you know when I was younger everyone should me have too. me too yeah 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 I think it's really funny I think like a like maybe 10 years ago no maybe 20 years ago whenever PTs started becoming a thing like personal trainers people were embarrassed at the beginning to say oh I've got a personal trainer and then all of a sudden it became like the coolest thing to have like everyone had a personal trainer and yeah still people have like this weird shame around having like a relationship coach or like a relationship therapist or like a life coach and it's like like what's this about and I genuinely like I know that the day is going to come when people are going to wear that badge of honor when they're like yeah I got a relationship coach yeah yes. I got a life coach like I got coaching do you know what I mean and like as a coach myself like I, I have struggled with that immensely. Like I can do it all on my own. You know, I don't need any coaching. I can read the books and like say, <laughs> no, you don't actually have the time to do that. Like, and sometimes, especially when it's heartbreak, you need help and you need love. And like for someone to witness you and guide you. So there is nothing wrong with needing help. And that goes back to the whole valuing independence as the highest, you know, thing. And it's not always the case. Like, you know, I did read books and I did, I did all those things. I trial and aired the shit out of my relationships and like tried to learn from them and journal and all these things. And yeah, I did eventually come around, but I also got a therapist who helped me, you know, and I know therapy is something that still has a stigma, but I think everyone in the world should have a therapist in the same way. You know, we're all humans. And, and like, I wish that like, that is why I do what I do. Cause I'm like, I wanted someone like me who has been through it and can point things out to me and make me like, maybe not waste so much time suffering. And, you know, not even be, with the end result being having to be in a relationship. Cause I genuinely believe some people are happier not in relationships and that's perfectly okay. Like, I think that we really like, fan, like idealize the concept of romantic love mm -hmm. and, and it builds a lot of expectation and romantic love can be totally fulfilling but I also think there's other ways to feel fulfilled, you know, but it's really more about not being blind about it, you know, and, and like thinking that 
just so many stories we tell ourselves or like cultural ideas we have about what's happening. And it's, it goes back to just not knowing what, who we are and what we need, you know? And if I had someone to guide me on that, like, I mean, I don't want to, that to have happened because then I probably wouldn't have met my husband and appreciated him, but you know, I, I think so many yeah. people could benefit from it, even if they're in a, in a relationship and it's lasting, like, can, how can you make it the happiest relationship or the strongest, you know? Yes, absolutely. I feel you. And like, yes, that was your path. And that is, that's why you're here. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, when, when you work with clients, like people aren't just paying you to coach them. They're paying for all of the years that you mm -hmm. had firsthand experience. They're paying, they're paying for every single book that you read and all the work that you've done. Like, it's not just like it, this is where, you know, with patriarchal systems, with this hourly rate of pay and this like salary, like the way people relate to money now gets so confusing because mm -hmm. this is not what coaching is. Like you're literally paying for this person's life experience because that has equipped them the, to hold you and facilitate you in this moment in order to help you grow so that, you know, in a sense, you don't, I guess, waste time or you don't continue your suffering or your struggle and that you can actually make more empowered decisions immediately yes I Absolutely. love the way you said that that's a beautiful spin on it I think <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean but a, a beautiful way to talk about it it's true you know um and there are times when I'm like well I don't you know I'm not a licensed therapist or people really think do they really think I'm credible you know and I question my own worth in that way sometimes yeah. but then it's true when I see clients who I help and that like it just comes for me because I've lived it you know mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's definitely hard to put a price on it <laughs> <laughs> definitely what's been like what's been a a difficult part of I guess, I don't know, your, your, your marriage, I don't want to say difficult, but like, has there been any kind of edge that you've come up to, like within this work that you've brought consciousness to? Um, I'm so sorry. Can we pause for a hot second? Yeah. Um, so I would love to know, as we're nearing the end of this podcast, what's been maybe the hardest part of your journey when it comes to self-love or even since you've taken this new like leap of commitment um, with marriage? That's a great question. Um, I think the hardest part for me in general has always been trusting myself. And, you know, I think a lot of the times we think about trust as something we have with other people in general, you know, I trust you or I trust them or, but trust is really having confidence in something and vice versa. You know, when we have confidence in something, we trust it and we build confidence when we trust ourselves. And I think that in terms of specifically like relationships and in both, you know, I focus on romantic relationships within my business a lot because they're such a great mirror for seeing ourselves because they can be so highly triggering, but our attachment style shows up. I mean, I've had it show up in friendships and even with just acquaintances, you know, um, it exists in all of our relationships. And I think in general, it was just always 
feeling worthy that my opinion mattered, that my feelings mattered and that I would show up for myself, mm-hmm. I think. Um, because I, because I questioned my own worth and my own opinions and feelings about things, it was hard to show up for myself sometimes because I wasn't certain of what I wanted or needed, you know? Um, and so like, that's why, you know, I am not just a dating coach. I do, you know, but like, and it's holistic because I incorporate to me, the piece of getting to know yourself is so like, um, it's so vital in having a relationship. Like that's the first relationship you have. And I don't think for years I didn't nurture that or I I wanted to, but I didn't know how to. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to trust, like trusting yourself that you will follow through on something for yourself. Mm. You know, even if that means like, I mean, it comes out in so many different ways throughout the day, like meaning you'll get up when you say you want to get up, that you'll, you know, um, not have coffee that day. Like I get really bad acid reflux and I love coffee, but like I know enough times that when I betray myself and have the coffee, I regret it. And so it's like, how can I trust myself to take care of myself and not have that thing that's not going to be good for me today, you know? Um, and so, and I think when you try to keep showing up for yourself and build that muscle, things get a little easier, like just in life, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Hey, I've got a really good exercise for this. Um, I didn't know that's what you were going to say, but I just have to share. So, cause I've struggled with a similar thing. We've got really, really similar, like we do interests and whatever. Yes. Um, but Honestly, this is the most simple thing and you can do it all day long and it builds up a beautiful trust within yourself and it genuinely creates a stronger neurological uh, pattern. And it's whatever, whenever you're going to do something, say out loud what you're going to do. And it sounds so silly and repetitive, but I say, now I'm going to go for a walk and I go for a walk. Or I say, now I'm going to eat lunch and I eat lunch. Because biologically you're, and neurologically, you're building that connection. So when mm-hmm. it comes to bigger things, tomorrow I'm going to wake up at six. You're going to do it. Like you build up this trust from a very, very, very basic level. And then you can, you know, you can finally reach a point where I'm going to get that job or I'm going to move to the coast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like the, I, literally, I, this has happened to me recently. I'm literally relocating in the UK now to the coast. It's something I've always wanted. And I have been saying for the past month, I'm moving to the coast. And I, and I managed to manifest that in that way. Um, so for anyone listening, try that exercise and tell me how it goes. Yes, I love that because you're basically declaring it. You're, you're putting it out there. Like you're making your intentions very clear and the universe likes that. Yes. And our brains like that. And I think also um, you declare it and, and also our speaking ne- neurologically, our brains actually, I learned in my life coaching course, um, if we have a thought, our brain has five seconds before it starts convincing us not to do that thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of like you say it out loud. And then if you're in a position that you can just go do it, just cho- like choose to go do it. But if you think about it, when you wake up in the morning, your alarm goes off, you have about five seconds to decide, am I going to actually get up based on that alarm or am I going to snooze? You know? Yeah. Um, I love that so much. And actually, like when I started doing this, I remember one day I, I, I basically, I decided, so I said, I'm going to go post 
these things that need posting. And when I was in the post office, I said, huh, I'm going to go for a walk around the park, seeing as I'm out already. So I was like, I'm going to go for a walk around the park. But when I stood outside of the post office, it started lashing rain. And I was like, I got to do it. I said it. So I had to walk <laughs> around the park and I was drenched. And I was just like, Esther, wow. what have you done? But it felt so good. I was like, I follow through. Um, so yeah. That sounds like the extreme boot camp version of this exercise. Like tr <laughs> trust to the max. Like what is going to make you not, not like knock you down, you know? Yeah. Um, and bringing it back to Lacey, she actually says that's really interesting actually, because she talks about tests and that when you've declared something to the universe, the universe will then test you and send you things that look like things yes. to, to make you stray. Yes. And if you pass a test, when you stick to your guns. So I feel like you were passing a test that day. Oh, wow. I'm so happy that you reminded me of that. Um, yeah, I definitely feel that the universe tests you and I'm being tested at the minute and I just forgot about that concept. So thank you. Taryn for reminding so me. Welcome. So welcome. Anytime. <laughs> so one question that I want to ask you, the last question of this podcast is something I ask everybody who comes on and it is, if you could give your younger self some advice, what would it be? <sighs> I would say to um, honor your feelings and trust your feelings. Um, and that as long as you do that, it's all going to be okay. And it's all going to turn out how you want it. You just have to trust it's going to be okay. And I actually need to tell that to my current self. Cause I still do that where, you know, it's interesting as much as you learn, it's like, and as much as I can see that I've manifested things going forward, it's still reminding myself like of the things I don't yet have, like, well, you used to want this and now you have it, but, and you have to realize you are trusted yourself you are patient just keep doing that you know um and stop worrying so much faith over fear you know um so I think a combination of those things is what I would say oh, I love that so much Taryn I could talk to you forever genuinely I think this is the longest podcast I might have done um <laughs> but and I could I could literally keep going I just I I, I could do I mean it's so me. much fun to talk to you I know but <laughs> our listeners probably you know yeah, if you've made it to the end, you know, well done. You're a new person now with all this wisdom. <laughs> yes, yes, oh, totally. Where can everyone find you? Everyone can find me on Instagram at underscore truer love underscore. Don't forget the underscores. Um, and that's truer love, T-R-U-E-R, -E love. Um, and my website is a great place. Um, that's truerlove.com. Um, and I love questions. I love answering things. I have a lot of attachment related stuff on my website and attachment quiz. If you're interested in that, that's a great place to get started. And then I send you emails following up, helping you as you kind of start to navigate incorporating and integrating your attachment style into your life. Um, I do one-to-one -one coaching with people, we can have like a specific focus or it can be more life coaching. But if you have a specific relationship, all of that, you can just find me on my website or Instagram. Beautiful. And all the links will be in the show notes below. Thank you so, yes. so, so, so much, Taryn. Thank you, Sarah Jane. It's been so nice to talk to you today. I'll see you soon. 
That is the end of our episode, friends. Thank yourself and your soul for continuing to show up and tune in to Real Talk and Good Vibe podcasts like this. Don't forget, if you want exclusive access to the Soul Deeper sessions, click the link in the show notes below to become a Soul Deep patron and stay up to date with the show on Instagram. Until next time, remember you are a star wrapped in skin and nestled within your flesh and bones is everything that you need to feel.